podcast on digitizing enterprise asset management, developing intelligent interactions, and building systems of intelligence for asset operations. For industry professionals who work in EAM and facilities management across transportation, public sector, utilities, manufacturing, and large enterprises. Today on The Intelligent Asset, using AI to automate business processes. Today, we're joined by Libby and Johannes, both are technical specialists from IBM. Libby, tell us a little bit about your your background and your role and how you come to be talking to us today. Yeah, thanks so much, Sam, and thanks for inviting me onto the podcast. So yeah, my name's Libby Lavrova. I have been at IBM New Zealand in uh, Auckland for about seven years, and At the moment, I am a data and AI technical specialist, which means that I support our partners to understand the data and AI technologies that we have. And before this role, so I was in this role for about a year, I was working in our consulting side of the company. So I spent the last four years designing, developing, and being a a consultant on mainly conversational assistants or people know as chatbots. Yeah, so I I spent a lot of time in the customer care space and yeah, now I'm just kind of across all of data and AI. doesn't really come across um, in Maximo, but there is a lot there that overlaps with AI. So yeah, thank you so much and and happy to to chat on the podcast. Super. And Johannes? Yep. So I've been working with a particular product called Maximo for um, almost 20 years now and um, started doing implementations with uh, from a business partner and uh, IBM acquired the software around 20, 2007 and uh, then I came on board with IBM as a pre-sales um, technical specialist um, looking after uh, first of all the ASEAN region uh, for about three and a half years before coming to Australia to do the same for Australia and New Zealand. So. Most of my customers are in the uh, asset-intensive space, so think about utilities, transportation, uh, those sorts of industries. And uh, yeah, uh, happy to be here on the chat as well. So um, Libby, in your experience, uh, what are some of the primary barriers and challenges that enterprises face when they look at adopting artificial intelligence? Yeah, that's a great question, Sam. So actually, just I want to acknowledge that it has been a a hard journey for people to actually start to think about adopting AI in in their organizations. And I think there's a statistic of like in 2018, it was only about, I don't know, like 40% of organizations were actually looking to adopt AI. And now with the rise of kind of chat GPT, um, and, and this may be not the, the same case in the asset maintenance um, space that Johannes is, is more familiar with. Um, but yeah, we, we've seen uh, almost double the amount of organizations looking at actually implementing AI. So just want to acknowledge it's, it's, it's great that people are even getting to that first step of implementing it. And now, so the, the barriers of, of actually implementing it are, I guess, probably be a, a little bit of um, paralysis that people have with figuring out, you know, what do we actually do? So we have, we have this problem 
and now we're looking at what is the the best solution to actually solve it. And I think now that there is such a big buzz with AI, people are actually going, oh, let's actually solve it from a smarter solution rather than than doing it the, the old way. And maybe, Johannes, you might have a, a, a better perspective from from how people come to you with Maximo. Um, but it, it's really about yeah. Yeah, starting from, from the right place and, and starting small and, and figuring out how to actually technically make it happen. Yeah, go ahead, Johannes. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, we tend to see the same sort of uh, issues come up uh, when introducing any new technology, right? It's always around things like data quality, um, the availability of um, good data, I should say. And most organizations that I've worked with, um, very few will put their hand up and say, I'm very confident in my data quality. I've got all the right information that I'm collecting. So... um, trying to break through that barrier to say you can start with some amount of data. Uh, it doesn't have to be all there. It doesn't have to be perfect, but you can start to build from that perspective. Mm, uh, yeah. That's kind of the number one thing that I see come across all the time. Yeah, same. Uh, and not just with AI, but with things like analytics. Yeah, yeah. Same within, within the sort of chatbot space as well. Data is a big thing. And that's what people don't even realize when they're like, oh, I want to use AI to solve my problem. We go, oh, okay, but you actually have to have the data in place for us to solve this. So, so yeah, really good point, Johannes, that that is a lot of the guidance that we give people of identifying what is actually going to be going into your AI and what is your AI even going to do. So that, yeah, it's a, a big barrier. But as Johannes said, it's it's about starting small and, and starting somewhere and, and breaking it down and, and and really looking at the solution and figuring that out. Yeah. Right. And then the other thing is also around trust, right? Mm. Or um, the explainability of it, because uh, I think the movies and TV and all this media has made uh, AI (laughs) look so simple and easy to use, right? You just open your phone and say, hey, Siri or hey, Google, and it starts to magically do stuff. Um, Yeah. But what they don't understand is that there's so much work that goes on behind it. And when organizations actually try to deploy similar technologies, they kind of get stuck with, I just want a magic button that does everything. Um, with, uh, when, when you give them to it, give that to them and you say, you know, here's, here's the AI, here's the application, here's the whatever that it does. Um, they then start to question. So how did it make its determination to follow this path, um, for a response? Right yeah. or give you a recommendation that said X versus Y, right? Uh, then they want to start to dive deeper and deeper into it. So trying to build that trust that the answers that the AI is going to give you is the same one that a, a human person is going to make, uh, and that's going to be the best response uh, that a, a physical human person will do versus a computer looking at data and um, generating some sort of response. Yeah. Yeah. So to perhaps um, summarize a little here, um, it's not only the breadth of data, it's the depth of data that, of the data sets that you are wanting to access. Uh, so I guess it's different between fairly structured environments that are heavily process oriented, as you find in enterprise asset management 
versus um, other environments which are a little bit less structured, if you like, in terms of how it gets applied and in what ways you can automate processes. So as, as Johannes was saying, that there's a lot of different formats that people will provide us with the data. Or when we're looking at building out a solution, we're really starting from scratch. So we're looking at what data sources do they have. And as you said, yeah, they can be very structured. They can be in a system. Uh, could you know People could be using Maxima right now and still wanting to be uh, automating some more with AI, or it could be in SAP, or it could be in spreadsheets or whatever. It could be very well defined. But when we're also talking about um, some other things that me and Johannes was talking about the other day was um, kind of taking the people side of things and, and replicating that. And maybe there's a different term of digital twin, but kind of taking a person and extracting their knowledge so that we can have that evolving over time and people can get benefit from that because of, you know, we've got a big aging workforce. So that data that's in a person is what you're saying is, is very unstructured and it's, it's hard to, to extract and then use into AI. So there, there's things like that um, that is becoming a little bit easier these days, but it's, there is a problem of, of figuring out how to translate that into the computer world. And, and you don't have to make it structured. So things like large language models these days, is, is it thrives on unstructured data and creates those connections to make it useful. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot easier these days, but there is still that challenge of, of using those data sets in the right way. Yeah, correct. And there's also a whole bunch of uh, different data sources that um, AI will be able to help um, asset-intensive organizations where we think about the very structured data, like you might be looking at a work order record or an asset record and have all these bits of information, IoT data coming up from uh, sensors that are built onto the device that can then feed into the AI. Those are somewhat structured. But then you start to look at other sources like acoustic um, sensors picking up data. Can an AI listen to a sound and say, hey, hang on a second, that motor doesn't sound like it's performing correctly because there's a nuanced um, blip in the audio. Or you could be sending the AI pictures or video streams and say, hey, have a look at this. And it's trying to figure out... Um, is there a rust spot here? Is there a crack on the building? Is there some sort of defect on this piece of equipment? Right? They're all unstructured data. The AI has to learn um, not just very structured information, but uh, how does it uh, take in those unstructured data sources and to provide insights out of it? Yeah. That audio thing is a really, really good example of that because it's, and, and that feeds into what I was talking about before of, of kind of replicating a human. It, you're using your ears to go, oh, I've heard this a billion times. It's what you do every day. You just go in there and you you know. But if you're training someone who's brand new, they've got no idea. They they cannot pick up those those little differences that someone who has been in the workforce for 20 years, like Johannes, <laughs> um, they don't they don't know how to pick that up. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's a good point. It's very powerful technology that we have these days where we can replicate something that's just so specific to humans, human nature and, and human brains really of being able to just know and, and remember. So, uh, I guess, um, uh, if we take acoustic, um, 
sensing. What are some of the other types of um, sensing that uh, we're starting to see, particularly in asset-intensive industries, Johannes? Uh, The common ones are obviously uh, video and image. So uh, being able to read those, uh, we're starting to uh, get smarter around um, LIDAR, so spatial imagery. Um, that kind of falls into the visual, but uh, using different sensors, so you can start to use things like heat and uh, heat or cold. Uh, those sorts of things start to play up. Uh, really good in helping to detect uh, defects or potential faults or issues with um, equipment. Uh, but just knowing which sensors to apply when and where, right, uh, is the key point there. I guess I've um, heard of examples of um, condition reports or um, uh, understanding the state of vegetation, for instance, along power lines. And some of those applications you're seeing rolled out across Australia and New Zealand? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, vegetation management's always been a big one for uh, the utility space. And uh, we're now seeing... Um, the use of things like satellite imagery to look down from space at um, the growth of particular types of vegetation. Some grow faster than others. Um, the times of year, the weather patterns, and how all of that affects the growth. And being able to use the uh, that advanced AI capability to then forecast, you know, are we going to see massive uh, vegetation growth in one area? Uh, because it's this type of tree and because we're getting so much rainfall and so much sunshine, does that put us at risk for bushfires or flooding? And that could have a negative impact on the infrastructure that you're supposed to be supporting as well. Yeah. So uh, quite a vast range of capabilities there. Yeah. And I think, Sam, uh, I'm not, I can't quite remember who was on the podcast, but someone from IBM, there was like a 30 minute episode of like a, a week or two ago, it was around slash and there was a, you were talking about a whole lot of different things, but I, I picked up on the slash piles one. Um, and, and that was around concerns when we had the, the cyclones and the flooding and there was a, just that use case that somebody, uh, I think it was my manager actually came up with, um, the, the slash pile use case to 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 be something that we can look at in, in using um, like uh, land information New Zealand's satellite data to 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 take that maybe for for listeners benefit uh, Libby maybe you want to explain what slash is and and how it came to be relevant in, in the context of New Zealand yeah <laughs> that that is a really great question and I actually didn't know about what a slash pile was um, until maybe a month or two ago before that project. So it's it's quite interesting um, that that people come up with these concepts and and trying to apply it. But a slash pile is, and hopefully I'm not butchering this, but a slash pile is a collection of trees that have been cut down. And when when I can't like the timber people, sorry, I'm saying really bad terminology, but the, the people who go and cut down the trees, they, they sometimes, it's, it's kind of illegal for them to do it, but they sometimes will collect um, the, the logs in one pile. And it's, they're not allowed to have it at a certain height, but sometimes it happens. Maybe there's debris coming down from other parts of the forest uh, during a storm. Uh, they could be, 
Yeah, thank you. Lumberjacks. <laughs> Lumberjacks is the right right terminology, thanks to Paul. Um, sometimes during a storm, they will the trees will be cut down and then they can collect at the bottom of the hill or something like that and, and then create the slash pile. So a slash pile is bad and if you are a gardener like myself, you may know that when you put a lot of organic material together, it starts to heat up um, because of the, the carbon content of it. Um, I do a lot of composting at home, so that's why that's where my interest comes into this project. But, you know, when you, you put a lot of organic materials together, it starts to heat up. So if you've ever cut down a tree and, and had to mulch it, I've gone to somebody's house and taken some of their mulch home for my garden. I noticed that when I put my hand into it, it was quite hot because it's starting to decompose and, and generate heat. So that can then cause um, fires as well. But also if you think of beavers, I suppose, um, if you start putting wood in places, it can cause flooding as well, which is which is not great. So there's a, a couple of reasons why it's bad. And I guess in the New Zealand context recently, we've had some extreme weather events or cyclones that have seen uh, the debris from forests or slash, as as we refer to it, um, being washed down hills, knocking out bridges, roads, um, as well as starting to decompose in in places that um, (laughs) are less than favourable. Yeah, we don't want them to, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you could use the same technology for for other use cases. So you could see um, if there is a collection of of wood on on a road, for example, you could automatically alert somebody to come and clear the road. We can apply that to rocks as well. I did a, a project <laughs> like four years ago on um, uh, identifying just rocks on the road because you know, people who are going out to to do service on on their um, on their site that may be rural. Um, they can't get to it and they're often the ones calling it in. So, yeah, it's all about kind of um, up to the the imagination of people and and figuring out what is the problems that they're facing every day. But some people may not even think of it as a problem or, you know, slash piles could be not such a big deal for everybody. But eventually if you add a storm to it, um, it can become a big deal. So there's there's a lot of different, different things that AI can be really useful for. Uh, Johannes, would you add anything to that? No, I think Livy covered that uh, quite well. Uh, just in terms of uh, how we apply all of this, it really depends on what uh, unique uh, use cases you come up with, right? The the technology is there, the, uh, the sensors and the devices that go out into the field, uh, we're all there or at least all, or almost there. Um, now it's how do we harvest that information and how can we get insights and how can we then use the AI to um, make predictions or make uh, uh, judgment calls as to what to do. And these have to be explainable and trusted judgment calls, right? And coming back to that point again, uh, anything that the AI does has to be able to be, has to be able to stand up uh, against a, a peer group review, if you will, say this is why we made that call and everyone kind of yeah okay you'll get a few variations but uh on the overall that's kind of where you need to get to all right well excellent um uh thank you both um join us in part two where we dive deeper into automating business processes using artificial intelligence thanks libby and thanks johannes thank you sam no problem